and welcome everyone. Our current series is of sermons on being still, slowing down in a busy world. And at the dawn of this uh, holiday season, it's important that we seek to discover the importance of intentional time to be still before God. Now, in the past few weeks, we've considered being still and having faith, being still and knowing that the Lord is God. And this morning, we come to be still and pray. Our text this morning comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, and we will read verses 21 through 22 and then 28 through 39. Hear now the word of God. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue, began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons and he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Early in the morning while it was still dark Jesus got up and left the house and went to a secluded place and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said everyone is looking for you and he said to them let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for that is what I have come for. And when he went into all the synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. That finishes the reading of God's holy word. Amen. Now this morning's text describes one day in the life of Christ. It, it begins with Jesus and his disciples immediately going into the synagogue at Capernaum to teach. Capernaum was basically Jesus' home base of ministry. And then this text tells us that immediately after that, Jesus and his disciples went to Peter, the home of Peter's mother-in-law, who was sick with a fever, and Jesus healed her. And then that evening, the whole city gathered at her house and again the text tells us that many were healed and of various diseases and that Jesus cast out many demons. Now there's a lot to talk about within this text but today we're going to talk about prayer and what I want to make the emphasis is and the reason why I chose this text is this is one day in the life of Christ. One day. And the one day that's described for us in our text is supposedly the day of rest. Supposedly it was the Sabbath. But we see that Jesus was very, very busy. Now maybe you think of Jesus 
taking life slow, sitting around with his disciples on the riverbank, sharing God's word. But the fact is, is that is far from the truth. Jesus was a very busy person. Now his busyness is emphasized in Mark's gospel by this word immediately. Maybe you picked that up when we were reading through the text. The word immediately is used three times in our text and 11 times in the first chapter of Mark. So it tells us that they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue. And then verse 28, immediately news about him spread everywhere. And then verse 29, and immediately they came out of the synagogue. So, immediate. The fact is, is that the Gospel of Mark uses this word immediately 42 times in his Gospel. This is amazing when you consider that the word immediately is only used 12 other times in the rest of the New Testament. So Mark 42, rest of the New Testament 12. And biblical scholars agree that the Holy Spirit is inspiring the, the Mark in his gospel to use this word to demonstrate that Jesus was no sloth. He was a very busy guy. For Jesus, there was no holding back, no reluctance, no delay. Everything was about divine immediate. Now, I think it's important for us to understand this, that Jesus was a busy guy. Because maybe we often think of being busy as being a bad thing. Maybe we think of being busy as even a, a sinful thing. And I guess in many cases, being busy is a bad thing. Maybe in some cases, being too busy is actually sinful. But Jesus' busyness wasn't a sin. It was his way of life. In 1930, there was an American economist that predicted, quote, our grandchildren which that would be us, I think, pretty close, so maybe a little bit, one more generally. But our grandchildren would, will work around three hours a day. So not any of you that are retired, all right? But those of you in, are employed, does, does that make sense to you that you're only working three hours a day? No. It's far from the truth. Now, his prediction was based upon, based upon technological advances that he saw coming in the future, such as fast transportation, home appliances that would take away so many of our chores around the house, and then modern machinery that would shrink our workday um, to about three hours a day. <laughs> well, we can say that he certainly was a false prophet, wasn't he? Between our jobs, our kids, preparing meals, home maintenance, trying to get some exercise, and keep personal appointments, well, we're busy. And I know that many of you are busy people. Your schedule is packed. And probably you wish that you weren't as busy as you are, but 
that's probably not going to change anytime soon. <laughs> but what I want you to see here is that Jesus was busy too. You know, Jesus can sympathize with us because he has endured everything that we have endured yet without sin. How did he pull this off? How was it that he was so busy, yet his busyness didn't turn into sin? What did Jesus incorporate into his life where his busyness is really looked at as something as a uh, something divine, something that was really, really important, something that God had really, the Father had really led him to? I think we have this fantasy of Jesus just sitting around having Bible studies in Mary and Martha's house and going on these endless spiritual retreats into the mountains. But the fact is, it's just not true, which is totally represented here in the first chapter of Mark. In the morning, he was teaching in the synagogue. In the afternoon, he was healing a, a, a sick friend's mother-in-law. The rest of the day, into late evening, he spent healing the sick and casting out demons, even having conversation with these demons. And after the entire day, morning till night, Jesus was busy. And then he was finally able to go to bed and get some rest. Now, you might think it's kind of strange that I'm talking about being busy when the whole series title is entitled Be Still. But I'm trying to show you that Jesus can relate to you and your schedule. And he wants us to incorporate certain things into our lives because our busyness probably isn't going to change anytime soon. We all know that winning the lottery is a fantasy more than a reality, even though it is fun to think about it, isn't it? What I'm suggesting this morning is that we look at Jesus as an example so that we might be able to slow down in this busy world. I think what we see here is Jesus is teaching us by example that we need to be still and pray in this busy world. Now, in many ways, this sermon is really practical, not heavily theological. But I have to say, it is immensely spiritually important. It tells us in our text that early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. It seems that Jesus had to slip away secretly because while it was still dark because that large group of people within the town who had gathered at the door that had been there all night well they must have just went ahead and put up some tents and were sleeping there all night waiting for Jesus to wake up they're waiting for another day of busy ministry now, this wasn't the only time that the scriptures record that Jesus slipped away to pray. It seems that this was a habit of his, that he would slip away and pray. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. So as busy as he was, he would find time to be still and pray. Maybe that's the reason why he could accomplish all that he did, because he incorporated this into his life. Jesus truly did practice 
what he preached. He told us in Matthew's Gospel that when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites who love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you that they have their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what you have done in secret will reward you. So we see that Jesus slipping away to this lonely place that's recorded in Mark's Gospel is basically what we commonly call his prayer closet. He found some place quiet by himself where he could be still and pray. Now the reformers called prayer a means of grace. And what that means is prayer is something that God has given to us so that we might grow in his grace. And of course when we read the book of Acts, the early church devoted themselves to prayer. As a matter of fact, the importance of daily communication through prayer is mentioned over 250 times in the Bible. The direct call to pray. And so, why is daily prayer so important? Well, let me just remind us. First of all, daily prayer gives us the opportunity to share all aspects of our lives to God. Secondly, daily prayer gives us a chance to express our gratitude for the things that he has provided for us. Thirdly, daily prayer provides a platform for confessing our sins and helping us to overcome temptations in our life. Fourth, we see that daily prayer is an act of worship and obedience to these 250 admonitions to do so. And finally, daily prayer is a way to acknowledge who is really in control. God. By us being still and praying is a testimony that we believe that God is in control. Now, the most common hindrance to daily prayer, or some may call it an excuse, is that we just are too busy to be still and pray. Sometimes we feel that prayer is a a waste of time. And don't look at me strange because I think you've thought that as well. That I can't pray because I got so much I have to do. It, I have, for personally, I say, well, I have books I have to read. I have sermons I have to prepare. I have people I have to meet. I have projects I have to do. And I have television shows that I need to binge out on. Come on. Sometimes I have to confess to you that I feel like prayer is like I'm not doing anything. Sometimes I feel when I stop and pray that I'm really doing nothing. I feel like I'm just sitting around, like nothing is actually happening, and it's not long until I start Come on, man, get going, get moving, get things done. You got things you got to do today, man. Let's go. What are you doing? For me, I don't know if you can relate to this, but for me, prayer and praying is a lot like fishing. I've never been a fisherman. 
As a matter of fact, I think fishing is a waste of time. Waiting for hours for a swim, for a fish to swim by and bite my little hook in this big body of water seems to be like the most unproductive thing I could do. Now, I know when I say that about fishing that there are fishermen in this congregation that are saying to me, Blasphemy! How could you say something like that? What do you mean a waste of time doing nothing, being unproductive? What you're saying only proves the fact that you know nothing about fishing. Right, Alan? And my response is, you're right. And that's my point. Saying that prayer is a waste of time, unproductive, just proves I don't really know much about prayer. We have to get to the point where we actually learn to pray. You know, the disciples came to Jesus asking him to teach them how to pray. Someone once asked Martin Luther, who is the father of the Reformation, what his plans were for the following day, and he answered, quote, Work, work, work from early until late. In fact, I have so much to do that I'll spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. <laughs> Martin Luther was a busy guy. I also heard that Martin, uh, Martin Luther said that when his books and papers covered the wood grain on his desk so he couldn't see the wood grain that he knew that that was time where he needed to stop and spend at least an hour in prayer. Now that's totally counter the way we look at things, right? We look at that desk and we say we got to plow through this. We got to get this done. Well, Jesus was teaching us that here in our text that in the midst of busyness, we must be still and pray. Jesus slipped away in the early mornings, and maybe the early mornings is the best time for you. But maybe it's not. Maybe it's later in the morning. Maybe it's at lunch. Maybe it's at, in the evening. Maybe it's before you go to bed. There's no direction in the Bible of saying when exactly it is. Only thing in my own personal experience is the longer I put it off, the more of a chance I'm not going to do it that day. It's like exercise. The more I think, well, I'm not going to, I'm going to exercise in the evening, not in the morning. Guess what? Evening comes and I don't exercise. We have to find the time that fits our daily schedule. Maybe it's um, driving to work. You know, I have a really tough commute. It's about uh, seven minutes. And um, Barbara's commute is about 10, so uh, we have nothing to complain about, but I hear a lot of guys talking about how long it takes them to get to work. So won't you turn off NPR? Won't you turn off Kiss Country and use that time in prayer? I mean, you're in a secluded place. Don't pick up the phone. I see a lot of people talking. 
as they drive. But why don't they talk with God when they drive? I mean, you're in that capsule for 45 minutes at least. That's just going, not only talking about it, coming. I remember, and I've shared this story before, when uh, I really wanted to learn to pray. I never been really a great prayer warrior. I wanted to learn to pray, and there was a group of uh, four or five guys that would go to this sanctuary, to this church at like 5.30 in the morning and pray for an hour, and I thought that, that was really cool. And so um, I asked them uh, if I could join them. They said, sure. So uh, at about, you know, quarter after five, I was on my front door, knocking on my front door, and I, because I was supposed to be outside waiting for them. <laughs> and uh, Barbara made it very clear to me that if I wanted to learn how to pray, it was going to be on my time and not hers. And I needed to get up and get out. That's the biggest problem, is getting up. I used to do silly things. Like, I used to make a little recording. This is back in ancient times where you actually had to make a recording and on, a, on a device. And, and I would put it right next to my clock. And as soon as I would turn off my alarm clock, I would turn it on. And it was my voice saying, Brian, get up. You really want to get up. You really want to spend time in prayer. Brian, don't go back to bed. I was coaching myself. Uh, you know, a lot of church cultures have really developed prayer. You know, I had the privilege of going to Korea about five times. And every morning, 5.30 is prayer service in Korea. And it's well, very, 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 very well attended. Of course, I don't know if you ever heard of Prayer Mountain, where there's 24-hour, seven-day prayer going on continually, and it's been going like, on like that for decades. It seems like the Korean church really has taken the whole idea of prayer seriously in, in an economy, in a, in a country that's been on a growth pattern ever since the war. Sometimes we don't pray because our prayers maybe we feel are a little stale, become repetitious, predictable. We're praying for the same things. Uh, you know, you can use different methods of prayer. The two most popular, I think, is using the Lord's Prayer. I mean, even if you would just stop, be still, and just say the Lord's Prayer, and then start thinking of the things in your own life to incorporate within each one of those phrases, using the Lord's Prayer as a model for prayer, and then, of course, of course, the ACTS acronym of, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication, using that, or using, sometimes using the Lord's Prayer, sometimes using ACTS, mixing it up, no, no problem with that. I've always been jealous of people who keep prayer journals. I hear guys get up and talk in their sermons, and they talk about how they took time to be able to read through their prayer journals, the prayers that they had written down 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm so jealous because I, I don't do that. I don't do that. Uh, this week, I was really kind of juiced up about this whole idea, and I did come across a couple prayer apps. I never even knew there was such a thing. One that I actually incorporated into my life this week is called Echo. It's a prayer app called Echo, and basically you develop your own prayer list. You can actually send yourselves reminders to pray during different times of the day. It's a really cool device to be able to keep prayer at the forefront of our lives. 
I also received this email this week, uh, and it was, um, uh, what was it? It's called Five Minutes with God in the Car Line. And the whole idea is that using the car line, picking up your kids, as an opportunity for prayer. Five minutes with God in the car line. Maybe we're just not being creative enough. Maybe we're not being innovative enough to incorporate prayer into our lives. My point is we can't allow the busyness of our lives to distract us from prayer. We must find ways that we slip away to be in a lonely place and to be still and pray. Jesus was busy, but he knew the importance of doing just that. And I want to stress the importance for each one of us to be still and pray in the busyness of our life. Praying without ceasing is an attitude. Daily prayer is an action. So praying without ceasing is an attitude. Daily prayer is an act, an action. And I want to take this time to say thanks to our prayer team that meets every Thursday to pray through the prayer needs of our members and our ministries of our church. I want to thank uh, uh, Dr. Southwick for her persistence to call uh, Christ's covenant to be a praying church. Well, after all that, I just want to quickly, everybody still here? I, I want to just show you two outcomes. Two outcomes of prayer. Prayer, through prayer, we can strengthen our lives so we're not persuaded. Notice verse 36 says, Simon and his companions searched for him. Now, there were a lot of demands on Jesus' life, even at this early stage of ministry. But he had to slip away and pray. And now, but now the sun had, had come up, and everyone was anxious for a new day of ministry. The crowd, again, had gathered at Peter's mother-in-law's house the day before, and it seems like they were still there waiting. And so Peter and his friends got up to wake up Jesus, but Jesus was nowhere to be found so they searched for him. Searched is a nice word. Actually, the word in the original language is they hunted for him. They hunted for him. It's the same word that's used in hunting wild animals. They hunted. It seems like they were really persistent and frantic. They had to find Jesus. Now, they hunted for Jesus because they wanted him to stay in Capernaum and resume his ministry there. But I want you to notice that through prayer, Jesus knew that it was the Father's will for them not to stay in Capernaum, but to go into the nearby towns. See, through prayer, Jesus discovered the Father's will, and Jesus' heart was fortified to do the will of God, and the fact is that God desires to do the same thing for us through prayer. There are a lot of people hunting for you. Hunting for you, searching you out. Your boss, your spouse, your kids, all of them hunting for you. People telling you that you should do this, people telling you that you should do that. People saying, stay late, stay late. we have another, uh, it's no big deal to miss another family dinner for this business meeting. Your family will understand. And your heart knows, no, I shouldn't do that, but you're weak because you haven't fortified your heart through prayer. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with business dinners. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that 
Often we know what is the right thing to do for our lives. We know God's will for our lives, but because we haven't fortified our hearts through prayer, we slip into other tendencies. Jesus wasn't going to allow anybody, not even his disciples, to tell him where he should go. And through prayer, we can search out God's will and be strengthened so that we will not be persuaded by others to go against God's will for our lives or to go against God's will for our family. Verse 37 tells us that they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now this is very, very persuasive talk. Everyone, everyone, everyone is looking for you. Now I have to admit I would have been very flattered to know that a whole city (laughs) was waiting for me to come and minister to them. Very flattering. But Jesus wasn't going to have anything to do with their flattery. We're often tempted to go beyond the boundaries of God's will for our lives. But we need to fortify our hearts in prayer and do not let them persuade us. Actually, Luke's gospel records that they tried to keep him from going away from them. So there seems to have been some sort of trying to restrain him. But Jesus stood firm because he knew the Father's will because he had a time of prayer. Verse 38, he says to them, No, let's go somewhere else into the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I have come for, came for. Jesus, for Jesus, it was about fulfilling God's purposes in his life, about accomplishing his work doing the things that the Father had sent him to do. And this time of prayer, Jesus really knew the direction that the Father had for him. He was able to fulfill the purposes of God because he had spent time with the Father. Jesus knew that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach the gospel to the poor, to proclaim release of captives, to recover the sight to the blind, to set free the downhearted, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But for Jesus, he had to do it according to God's will. And as Jesus fulfilled all the purposes of God throughout his whole ministry, he one day was hung on a cross. And as he hung there, He knew that he had accomplished the purposes of God. And the Bible tells us that when he breathed his last, he spoke these words. It is finished. Now, I think that that is not the way Jesus lived his last day. I think that's the way Jesus lived every day. Where Jesus could lay his head down at night and he could say to the Father, it is finished. I have accomplished your will. You've told me what your will is for my life, and I have done everything within the span of these hours to accomplish your holy will and fulfill your purposes in my life. This is how God calls us to pray. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, let's fortify ourselves in prayer so that we might really discover God's purposes and not go beyond the boundaries that God has set for us. God has given us prayer to show us his will, to fortify our hearts, and to give us confidence that we are his children, fulfilling his purposes in this day. 
Prayer helps us not to be persuaded by the world's demands, but rather be focused on fulfilling the demands of God upon our lives. It's my prayer and hope that you will be still and pray.